Good morning, everybody. Bill? Where is Bill? Bill Henry. He left, but Don, good to see you survive last night. I heard you, you, were you able to get out of bed this morning? I, I had a hard time, and I didn't have to do the stuff you did from what I heard, so. <laughs> hey, we're going to be, this morning, we're, um, man, we're getting close to finishing up the ser- this series, this, this journey onward that's kind of the kickoff for this new season of our community here. Um, Got three sermons left to go. Last week, we finished talking about our quest. You remember we began with our captain, who is Jesus, the one we follow. Our quest, which was the mission of God, which His mission that He will restore, renew, and reconcile in the end all things, all things. And so, we're on a quest with Him. Our mission is with Him partially at this time but seeking to restore all things to God, one person, one place at a time. And then his mission also is not just that, that large cosmic mission for his whole creation, but that desire to bring me into relationship individually with himself. So he entered our world, took on human flesh, lived the life I should have lived, died the death I should have died, so that by receiving him that I he comes into my life and forgives me, and I, I gain new life. And then that personal quest when I'm in relationship to form, conform, and transform me into the image of His Son. That's like that lifelong quest for me that I've always got in view. And, and we talked about more what that looks like. If you remember the first followers, we're called followers of Jesus' way, and we want to be known as people who follow Jesus in His way. And then last week with the quest, I threw out one other big picture thing to me, which is our desire to make God famous, that we want Him to be the talk of the town in Emporia, that in everything we do and everything we say as individuals and as a community, that God would be famous, that people would see His weight and His beauty through us. And so what I'm going to do these next three weeks is I want to take this idea of journey, and um, there's three other things that when you're on a journey, so we've got the quest, there's three things that we need. And so this week, I want to talk about our map. Because when you're on a journey, you know, when you're climbing a 14er, you need your map. It's great to have companions. Where's Jiwan? He's here somewhere. Where is Jiwan? Jiwan, there he is. He was my companion last year up Sherman. We had a great time. He never breathed once, I don't think, the whole way up, and I was gasping for air the whole time. So we need a map, we need companions, and we need a guide. And so today I want to talk about our map. Um, if you're a, I'm, I'm working on this whole note thing, okay? If you're a note-taking person, I've got something that'll make it easier for you, for you this week, okay? And we're working on getting that thing uh, figured out for everybody. But in the book of Acts, chapter 17, Paul has just, he's traveled to Thessalonica. He went for three Saturdays into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he reasoned with them, dialogued that Jesus was the Messiah, the true King. And there were people who came to follow Jesus from those conversations, and even non-Jews believed. And it started to create some trouble in the city, and some people started calling them rabble-rousers and stirred up the city and had the officials come out, and they tried to capture Paul, but he was able to escape from the city, 
um, before they did that. And from there, he went to Berea. And here's where we come. If you look uh, at the scripture, it's Acts 17.10. This is where we come. Next part of the story. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. This is one of my favorite texts in the Bible. The Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message first with great eagerness, and secondly, they examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And so I want to hold the Berean believers up, the Bereans as, a, as an example of the kind of people that we're to be. Um, this reminds me when I read this uh, of Ezra chapter 4, I mean, actually it's Ezra chapter 7 verse 10, it's wrong on here. One of the, the first things I read in the Old Testament as a new believer, and this passage really caught my heart, and to me this is like what the Bereans were. They were eager to know God's Word, just like Ezra, where it says Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. He was determined to study, to obey, to teach. Some other translations say he devoted himself to the study of the Word or set his heart to. The Brians remind me of Job. Another passage I love. He knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. That metaphor Job uses of, of it being like food to him is really common in Scripture. First Peter 2.2 says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. In Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, sorry, he replied to the evil one by saying, it is written, people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the reason Jesus said that is because He knew that our souls, we need daily nourishment as much as our bodies need it. My guess is, I don't know about you, but I know me, I don't miss my three meals a day very often. How about you guys? Pretty faithful in that, right? I rarely skip uh, because I know I need that nourishment to feed my body. Yeah, right, that's really the reason. Just you get hungry, right? <laughs> uh, but you know, even though we don't always feel it, our souls need daily nourishment just as much as our bodies, if not more so. And if you neglect that daily feeding on the Word of God, you'll, your soul will begin to shrivel. I know you've all, we've all felt that, right? 
you feel that spiritual shriveling happening inside. You know, if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to be formed, conformed, and transformed in the likeness and the image of Jesus, we must regularly be feasting at the table of God's Word. And that's what the Bereans did. They were eager, eager to receive the message. They were hungry for the Word of God. And that's why I like them so much. That's why I love this passage is this, this desire for them, this, this hunger for God's Word. And you know, if you will, if we, if you, if us, if we will faithfully give ourselves to God's Word and eagerly take it in daily, you will find, among other things, that it will become really significant. It will become the lens through which you see everything in life. It will become... It will get into your heart and capture your heart, and it will become the the it will fill, it will become the things God's values will become your values. You will begin to deeply value the things that are important to Him. It will become the filter through which. Okay, ladies, I know this is not a filter. Uh, <laughs> I had to ask my wife that. No. Um, I know what it's for, um, but it will become the filter through which you will see and interpret everything you hear and everything else that you read. Hey, just this week, somebody told me, I forgot the name of it. There was the show in the 60s and 70s where the lady with the children, she'd hold this thing up, and they had the Doobie B. What was that called? Do you guys remember? Romper Room. Okay. Go get on YouTube and look up a Romper Room. Okay. Sorry. It will become the filter through which everything comes to you. It will also become the map that will guide you in your life. And I want to take that map metaphor for a minute. Can I do that? Because on our journey, the Word of God, it truly is our map. This truly is our map. Um, a map shows t t serves two functions, a good map. One, it shows us the journey on a large scale. It gives us that big picture view. A good map helps me to see, to understand, and to interpret the whole journey, beginning to end. I don't know, Ariel, can you tell this is Beerstadt? This is the trail at Beerstadt. It keeps the big picture in front of you, a good map. It provides boundaries, reference points that keep me from wandering all over the place and keep me oriented to that end goal rather than confused. Now remember, when I talked about the kingdom, the Bible is a unified story with teachings. The teachings in the Bible illustrate and inform this story. This is what the Bible is. It is a story from creation to corruption to restoration, and the key point being Jesus' redemption. That story is my large map, the large picture of my journey. That's the story, the narrative through which I see everything in the world. And when I, as I get to know the Bible and become intimately acquainted with that story, I began to more understand God and His ways and His purposes in the world. So that overarching story is what answers those big questions, and that's what the Bible is. This is that story. It is that story. As that large story, it answers the big questions of life, the questions of origin. You know, where did this world come from? Where did I come from? It answers the questions of destiny. Where am I going? It answers the questions of purpose. Why am I here? What should I do with my life? What's my place in this story? But a good map also shows us enough detail 
that we can find our location on the small scale, so to speak, key points on the map, landmarks, navigational markers that help keep me on the way to, that, to the end journey. A good map indicates potential dangers like swamps or cliffs, therefore by directing me to the very best and safest route. So the Bible also answers the questions that I have about ethics of right and wrong. How should I live in my daily life? Not just the big picture thing, but how do I live today? This is my map. It teaches me in detail how to live my life within God's story. How to live my story in His story. And those Bereans, they were so eager to know God's Word and to take it in. What a noble people, right? What a noble people. But even more than their eagerness to know His Word, to have that map, they just didn't stop there. It says they also examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Examined. They evaluated everything by the Word of God. Everything. You know, our world is full of many voices, right? Many competing for our attention. Our parents have messages for us, our siblings, our friends. The government has a message for us, left and right. And it's propaganda machine, everything. Teachers, schools, the media is full of messages for us. Television, the movies that we watch, the radio, the music we listen to, the things on our, you know, the podcast, the internet. My own voice is this competing voice. There's Satan's voice out there. And the truth of the matter is, I think you, you know well in our culture today, these voices are t- so many times they're competing, right? And contradictory. Haven't you noticed that? Contradictory. You know, one voice says this, but another voice says that. You know, my parents told me to study hard, but my friends told me to take it easy, right? Uh, my parents told me be responsible, but all the movies I watched said, hey, do what feels good. Totally different. Um, you know, at school they tell me character matters, but all the fashion magazines scream out to me uh, that what matters is my outward appearance. And man, it, I mean, these voices, there's so many, and they're, they're competing, and they're so confusing. Um, and they're just changing all the time, aren't they? The things we're hearing is constantly changing. Uh, if I don't, you don't mind me staying with the fashion, uh, you know, Last year, I was supposed to be wearing skinny jeans, but the year before that, it was flared jeans or something, Uh, and you can probably tell I know know nothing about fashion because I'm not even sure if that's the order of things. That's why I just wear the regular fit just all the time my whole life, and you're just always in the middle of all of those things. (laughs) But um, there's just so many changing, contradictory, competing voices in this world, and I think our hearts cry out for one singular voice that can speak truth and wisdom into our hearts and minds. I think we, I think it's, a, it's human that we long for a voice that never changes, a voice that helps us sort between those competing and contradictory things that can help us discern truth from error, right from wrong. And I want to tell you, the Bible is that one voice. This is our voice. How many of you grew up with one of these things? Old Magnavox, like big, big honking thing, right? Uh, it's just for the young people here. You know, my parents, 
they had to walk to school 100 miles every day, uphill through the snow, right? Both ways. My generation, my parents had it. It was not near as hard as my generation. We had to get up off the chair, walk across the room to change the channel on these things. I mean, you had to go up there and you had to do this, and then you had to walk back. I mean, talk about a tough life, right? <laughs> the, the one that we had was a Magnavox was a magnavox. I love that word magnavox. Vox is the Latin word for voice. Magna means huge, great, mighty, giant. And I love that because to me, that's what the Bible is. This is my magnavox. This is the one huge voice that I need in my life to sort through everything that I'm hearing and everything that's coming in. So don't just listen to the loudest voices. Listen to the one true voice. Listen to the one true voice, our Magnavox. God's word is that voice to us so that we so desperately need to hear that clear, singular, trustworthy voice. And that's the voice that enables me to filter everything, everything that I hear. This is the voice that becomes like the filter to me for every, all those other voices. And like the Brians, I should evaluate everything through the filter of God's Word. I should do that with any book that I read, any theological system, any author, any sermon, any lecture, any current religious trend, any tradition I grew up. You should do that with me, by the way, don't be afraid to go home and say, take the Word of God and say, is that really what the Word of God says? You should do that, we should do that with ourselves and our own beliefs. We should evaluate everything through the Word of God. And that's what the Brians did. They evaluated everything through His Word. And what a noble people they were. What a noble people. People to emulate, right? Should we not be known as Bereans. Since encountering this passage early as a believer, it's been my heart's desire to be a Berean, to know His Word, to eagerly want it, to hunger for it, to read it, and by it to evaluate everything, all the voices that are out there. And we, as a community, should be that way. We should be Bereans. People who want to encounter and know God through His Word. People who evaluate everything through His Word. I think the point is with them that the Word of God was central to their lives. And it should be central to our lives. I want you to do something for just a minute. On this sheet, after one and two, there's two questions. I just wanted you to take a minute and just ask yourself these questions. I, want, I just want to know, how are you doing on these two things? Your eagerness for the Word, your hunger for the Word, and on your evaluating. And by the way, on the hunger thing, I know your hunger, as in everything in life, C.S. Lewis talks about this, everything has an ebb and flow. So there's times I have huge hunger for the Word of God. There's times that hunger dissipates, but I continue in it as a discipline, though not hungry, knowing that the hunger will return. Does that make sense? If I stay in it, the hunger will return. So when you're answering that first one, you may be in a period of like, I'm not feeling the hunger, but I'm still daily in the Word. I want you to evaluate it in that way, okay? So take a minute, and I want you to, to evaluate yourself on those two things. How am I doing in my eagerness? 
Am I hungry to know his word? And how am I doing in my evaluating? Do I allow the Bible to function as my primary lens, heart, filter, and map? I encourage you to share that with a close spiritual friend and whichever one you're needing improvement and growth in that you would let them hold you accountable to that. Hey, and before I move on, in your bulletin is also this. Um, This is what I believe about the Bible. This is from when I got ordained, I had to write write a doctrinal statement. So I wrote this thing a long time ago, early 90s. But it's still, I might reword a thing here or there, but in an essence is still where I stand, and this is where the church stands. So if you want to know where 12th Avenue stands on the Word of God, this will uh, tell you that. And there's a lot of scripture references on there, so don't be afraid to, to dig into that. So let's be Bereans. That's my heart's desire for this community, my longing, and I think as a leadership team, we are desiring to be building a biblical community of kingdom people. We've been talking about the kingdom people, right? We want to be a biblical community of kingdom people. By the way, if you don't have one of these and want one, I've got more that are up here on the stage. Um, These are the things that we've been giving out in this series, say kingdom people, but we want to be a biblical community of kingdom people. In the words of Charles Spurgeon, he says that our blood should be, I don't even know how to say this, Biblian? Biblian? I don't know, but he's saying like our blood should be like Bible. Uh, J.D. Greer says, says a really cool thing that I think should be our goal. You know, I've heard it said that if you really want to know what's inside a person, watch what they do and what they say and what they think when times get tough. And J.D. Greer says this, when life cuts us, we want to bleed God's word. When life cuts us, we want to bleed God's word. Hey, let me speak for just a minute about my preaching before I get on to one last thing. I will always endeavor to make sure that my preaching is biblical and that it puts on display the full weight and the full beauty of God. That is my goal all the time. I will always strive to be centered in the Word of God as best as I understand it. I'll always strive in the words of Acts 20, 27 to do what Paul said, which he says, I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. As the King James put it, the whole counsel of God or the Holman Bible, the whole plan of God. And I'll do this through a variety of kinds of preaching. I'll do it through exposition, which is where you take a, a long text of the Bible and go through it. We'll do that sometimes. Sometimes in focusing on one text, and that's what I'm doing today, Acts 17, 11 to 12, especially verse 11. Sometimes topical sermons, you know, there are important themes in the Bible like the Trinity. There's no one text on it. Sometimes you've got to take and things from different places and put them together. And sometimes through narrative sermons where we take a life of somebody in the Bible, mainly Old Testament, and go through their life and learn how to live from them. Perhaps be doing Nehemiah this summer, thinking about it. Don't hold me to it, but, but thinking about it. Okay, I can't leave this by laying this down and saying, we're going to be a community of people that are eager for the Word and evaluate everything through it without laying out some pitfalls, some things I've seen over the years that can happen regarding the Bible. And we're going we're gonna to get through these. I don't want to spend a lot of time on these, but here's the first pitfall, and these are on your sheet. 
Making the Bible secondary in your thinking. Making the Bible secondary in your thinking. And we do this, we can do this two ways. One is by filtering the Bible through my experience. Filtering the Bible through my experience. Jason Hubner, I don't know, a year ago or so, preached, and he talked about the danger of reading the Bible through the filter of my experience. That's really dangerous. It's hard to avoid, but we've got to do it. Can I just give you just one example of this? Um, A few years ago, I preached on the story of Martha and Mary found in Luke chapter 10. I'm a middle child, but my oldest brother was five and a half years old, older than me, and so in that birth, whole birth thing, when you get four years separated, you kind of become a firstborn again. So I have a lot of firstborn traits while still having the middle traits, but I've got a lot of those firstborn. I know what it's like to have a younger sibling, okay? I know as a firstborn, I know exactly how that feels. Um, <laughs> So when I read that story, I can look at that through the lens of my experience in my family. But I can't bring that, I've got to be careful of bringing that in, because it's not a story of family dynamics. You know, it doesn't matter if my younger brother was a slacker or not, if I allow my experience in my family to dictate how I read that text, I'll spend all of my mental energy defending Martha and make her the hero of the story, and totally miss the point. Because what he says to her is, he says, Martha, there's one thing that's essential, and Mary has found it, and it's the better thing. And I can totally miss that point if I allow my experience to filter that text. Does that make sense? So we've got to be really careful with that. Um, Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? My experience is not um, infallible, right? My heart's not infallible, and if I read the Word through my experience, I'm in danger of misinterpreting it. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says that God's thoughts are my thoughts. His ways are not my ways. So I have to be careful of that. There's a second way we do this, and it's by filtering the Bible through our culture. And man, I, this is going to be a whole sermon. I could talk a lot about this because a lot of people these days are saying, hey, this book, this thing's 2,000 years old. What can this say to modern culture, right? I mean, this thing is, you know, what in the world? How, why are you reading this? Why are you trusting this? Why are you trying to apply this to our culture? And I mean, the same thing. We're, our culture, we're full of people that have hearts that are deceitful above all things. We're full of a culture of people whose, whose ways are not His ways. And if we allow culture to be the lens through how we read or interpret a text, that is really, really dangerous. And, and we're in danger when we do that of doing what the Pharisees did. And Mark, Jesus said, you let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to human traditions. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to deserve your own traditions. So let us not be people that allow our culture to determine how we read this. Our culture doesn't read the Bible. The Bible reads our culture, right? Right? We don't do amen much here. Can I have an amen to that one? Yeah. Isn't that true? And I don't read the Bible. I mean, I do read the Bible, but the Bible should read me, and it should read my culture. If you read the Bible through the lens of your experience or your culture, it will distort it so much, just like in this image. Okay. I'm going to skip the John Stott quote. That's a really good quote. 
I'll throw it on my blog this week if you want to, I'm trying to put some stuff up there. Um, pitfall number two is hearing without obeying. Hearing without obeying. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Jesus says in Matthew 7 that if you hear his words and do not put them into practice, you are a fool. So, never let your Bible knowledge outpace your obedience. That's hard, I know. But strive to not let your Bible knowledge outpace your obedience. Pitfall pitfall 3 is majoring in the minors. Majoring in the minors. A key principle of biblical interpretation is give weight to what God gives weight to. Our small group just talked about this last week. In Matthew 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. They were so focused on small, little, minor things that they were missing the big things of Scripture. Specifically, the way of love, which Jesus said is the greatest command, is to love Him with all of my heart, my soul, my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. Things like grace and humility, faithfulness, joy, peace, these are the weighty matters of the Word, okay? So let's not be like the Pharisees to where we focus on minor things. We want to always be focused on the majors. And by the way, that's always been the culture of 12th, always has been the whole time I've been here. And we're going to, we'll, we will work as a leadership team to keep it that way. Fourth pitfall is lacking appropriate humility and grace. Second Peter, he writes this, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Some things are hard to understand, okay? So we come to the Word of God, we, f- we major on the majors, and a lot of the minor things... The reason there's so many opinions on them is because it's not clear, right? So we come to the the Word of God with humility. I totally agree with the Moravians, whose motto was, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. The Evangelical Free Church took this as their motto, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, love, in all things, Jesus Christ. The essentials, I mean the five things of orthodoxy. There is one God who is the creator of all who exists in a community of three, three in one, a triunity. Jesus Christ is the creator who became born in human flesh, who lived and died and was buried and rose again for my sin. I am saved only through faith in His work, 
not by doing good things, but trusting that work and accepting His forgiveness for His death on the cross. That's the only way I'm brought into relationship with God. Uh, fourth one. I forgot the fourth one. I should know these. Um, the Bible is God's Word, 100%. And the fifth one is Jesus will return. He will come back one day as King, and He will make everything right. Those are the essentials, and in that, we seek unity. But a lot of the other stuff is non-essentials, and in that, in those things, we give liberty, and in all things, charity. Does that make sense? So we need to be humble. We hold the important doctrines tightly and are unified in those, but a lot of the other things we hold with humility and open hands, and we allow each other to have some different interpretations, okay? And again, this has always been the culture of 12, something I respected about this place. Pitfall 5 is ignoring the rest of God's truth. All God is God's truth. You know that? All truth is God's truth. The Bible is all truth, but the Bible's not all truth. Does that make sense? Does the diagram make sense? There's all truth, and the Bible's part of all truth, but there's more truth than what's in the Bible. Two plus two is four, and all truth is God's truth. Um, the Bible's all truth, but the Bible's not all truth. Grant Howard says, truth is not limited to the Scriptures, but it is limited by the Scriptures. Now, if you're wondering, now, what is this thing about that I'm talking about? It is this, that um, throughout the Bible, various authors and biblical figures, they affirmed the truth of God wherever they found it. Solomon, Schuyler was back there somewhere, was a scientist who studied the truth of botany and biology and all of that, if you look in 1 Kings. Paul in Acts 17, he quoted multiple times, not just in Acts and other places, he quoted Greek poets and other things that he had read. Jude quoted other literature. So throughout the Bible, various authors and biblical figures, they were able to affirm the truth of God where they found it. And so I have no problem finding and affirming the truth of God wherever I find it. Um, of course, it all gets filtered through the Bible, but I have no problem picking up a good book and learning things from that and even sharing some of the things I've learned from that in here. Something I learned early in my walk with God. Somebody said, Garen, live in the Bible and visit good books. Live in the Bible and visit good books. And I can do that because I can affirm all of God's truth. All right, pitfall six. Neglecting the Word of God in your daily life. Not being daily in it. Not allowing Him to speak to you daily. The, the teenagers came up and read key scripture. Joshua 1.8, where we're told to meditate on it day and night. Psalm 1, 1 to 3, where we're told that the blessed, blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates in it day and night. Job, who says, I've treasured the word of his mouth more than my daily bread. You know, if we want a relationship with God and if we want to take him seriously, we need to be in his word because this is his primary voice to us. And then pitfall number seven. Pitfall number seven. The gravest of all pitfalls. It's losing sight of the person who's behind the book. The Bible's very important. It's critical. There's Schuyler. 
but it's not the most important thing. God is central. Jesus is central. Um, be careful of the Bible becoming so central it shoves God off the throne. And I'm going to show you in a minute. If you th- I mean, if you think that can't happen, look at John 5 where Jesus said of the religious leaders, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me, the one who it's about to have life. Does that make sense? It is possible to lose God in the Bible. I, I know it seems really hard. God is always at the front and the foremost of it. When I come to the Bible, I am primarily coming into it to it to engage Him relationally. Does that make sense? I've read, I read a book recently, and he said, people usually come to the Bible for one of three things. They'll come to it for encouragement. Well, I'm having a hard day, you know. Dear Lord, okay, all right, I hope that one encourages me, you know, and you'll read it. Well, that didn't, but whoa, okay, there's a good one. Or they'll come to it for promises, wanting to know what are the promises that they can apply to their life, so they're reading, looking for promises. Or they'll come, with, come to it wanting to know teaching and principles related to life. And he says, those are all the wrong reason to come to it, because you can come to this for encouragement but miss God and not engage and encounter Him through it. You can come to this for promises and not encounter God through it. You can come to this and learn a lot of principles, but not encounter God through it. So he says, we always come to the Bible to encounter and to engage God. Lord, I want to meet you in your word today. Please speak to me. I desperately need your voice. And he says, if you do that, if you'll come to the word to meet Him and encounter Him, guess what you're going to get out of it? You will get encouragement, and you will find promises and you will learn principles that apply to your life. You'll get the other three. So, let's keep him central. Let's keep him central. Okay. So, the question is, how's I'm, how am I doing on these seven things? And I just want you to take just a minute before we close up to just take a look at these seven things or even just maybe look right now, but I challenge you when you go home, to kind of give yourself a rating on these things. I think most of us do really well on a lot of these, but I'm sure all of us struggle on one or two of these. So yes, we want the Bible to be central. It, it is the most important thing in knowing God. This is our map. All right? Don't allow this to become secondary to your experience or culture. Don't read it without obeying it. As you read it, Major in the majors, don't major in the minors. Read with humility in the essentials unity, but in the non-essentials liberty. Let's be humble. Let's not ignore the rest of God's truth because there's other truth of God other places. So let's not ignore that. We live in the Bible and we visit good books. Please don't neglect the daily reading of it because this is how God will form and conform and transform you in the image of His Son. This is the primary way for me to meet Him. And please, let's not lose sight of that person behind it, okay? So as a community, can we, can we all agree to make this text our map from here forward? That this is, our, this is the book that we will go to eagerly to take it in, to learn it, and that through this we'll evaluate everything else that we hear and see and think 
and we will live our lives by this and encounter God through this. Can we, can we make this our map? I mean, we have. This community has. But that's my prayer for us. So, Father, we do pray that this book would be central in our lives. You're most important. But this is the main way you have revealed yourself. And you say that you meet us through this, that this is a living book. So we help us to be a people that daily meet you in your word, that we're eager to know it, we're hungry for it, and that by this book we evaluate everything else that will be a community of Bereans. Because we do want to be a biblical community of kingdom people. We want to be a biblical community. So make us that kind of people. And we pray in the name of Jesus who is the living word. Amen.